everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not outside riding or running or hiking or something to that effect, I'm probably inside writing about it. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk about all different types of movement and the, to the people who do them. Very nice. I try to keep it shorter this week. I like it. A uh, quick reminder, we're actually almost at four years of podcasting at this point. No, three. Yeah, I think four. So anyway, we're, you know, always kind of reevaluating the direction this show is going in and, you know, trying to think about what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. Uh, so definitely hit us up with any feedback over at consummateathlete.com. We have a contact page there. If you have been enjoying the show for however many years, uh, then, you know, we'd love it if you left us a rating or a review on iTunes. Uh, that's super helpful. I, I keep trying to start a, if we hit 300 reviews, we totally are getting a dachshund this spring or summer. So just putting that out there, you guys can really help me out. I guess that's an incentive of sorts. I'm manifesting. Okay. <laughs> so what's shaking? Uh, not a lot. We're uh, coming into some weather here in Girona, uh, where we're based for the winter. Uh, so yeah, we're starting. I saw snow this morning, uh, not just in the distant mountains, but uh, falling. Partially because you were climbing in the distant mountains, but... Well, there was a bit of that. But uh, yeah, we're doing that. I was busy posting a bunch of stuff this week. I did a longer article that's been sort of in my head and in my notes around you know, the different uh, debates around pedal choice in cycling. So we have road pedals, mountain bike clubless pedals, and then mountain bike flats and sort of the different sides of that. So I don't know if I did it justice or not, but you can be the judge if you want to check that out at smartathlete.ca. Uh, and then we also did a post with some early clinic days and just some information about getting clinics booked. Uh, we are booking already through till cyclocross season so yeah so that's that's mountain bikes cyclocross all kinds of different skill clinics yeah we uh, have women's at a bike park in april and then yeah some early mountain bike stuff uh right into july is there and ready to be booked but also uh requests for clubs and teams and so forth yeah so you can check that out over at smartathlete.ca and then the on consummateathlete.com you can sign up for a free uh what are we calling this healthy kickstart guide healthy habit kickstart guide <laughs> the seven day healthy habit kickstart go. guide uh and that's free and yeah we've had a bunch of people sign up anew for that uh mm-hmm. post new year so. super quick little like five minute things you can do each day to kind of evaluate where you're at with your habits that go around your training and you know that all kind of contribute to a better daily training environment as and you've like said you know it. sometimes it's we all need just you, you like to read different books and stuff that sort of just you know, tell you stuff you sort of already know, uh, but just sort of, you know, remind you and keep it in your your, your mind, I guess, so to speak. Keep it uh, in your thoughts and, and sort of direct some motion. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everyone kind of tends to slack off, you know, throughout the year, throughout the five years, throughout the 10 years. So, like, for example, I'm rereading Getting Things Done, um, which is, you know, just kind of the guide to basically list making and calendaring and all that kind of stuff and you know I've been doing that for 10 years but I reread the book every year or two and every time it helps me kind of reevaluate my systems and kind of get back on track with some stuff so yeah even if you think your habits are fantastic sometimes it's always great to just have that little reminder and check in did something stick out from this read that uh, you can pass on to people what oh boy like what's a big getting things done? we have an episode about getting things done uh with one of their experts on how to fit in exercise. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah really but it covered like a lot of the different topics, though, too, around just the, the getting things done yeah, uh, method. I, I always really like the two-minute rule, and it's a good one to be reminded of, or if you can do it in two minutes, or you can you can set that to whatever, whether you set it to 60 seconds or five minutes or however. Um, if you can get it done in that, don't bother to write it down and put it on your docket for later in the day. Just get it done. right. Right, so send that quick email or take that garbage out. Yep, exactly. So yeah, I really like that one. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, so anyway, today's guest, we have Annika Weingarten, and she and I talked all about, she's actually doing a ton of research around women in sport, uh, which I am fascinated by. It's a, you know, area that does not get nearly enough 
uh, press or research behind it. Uh, most, stu- you know, most studies are done on 10 healthy active males at XY University. Uh, so it's really interesting to hear kind of where she's at with women's research and sport and kind of she hasn't, you know, finished her research yet, but she has some conclusions that are already starting to become very obvious. So we sort of talked through that. Um, a lot of her work kind of centers around relative energy deficiency in sport, which is, you know, a pretty big topic right now. A lot of people are talking about it. Uh, not a lot of people know exactly what they're talking about when they're talking about it. So it was pretty interesting to kind of dive into that and discuss how we've moved away from the whole female athlete triad thing and how, you know, Red S does not just apply to young women athletes. It can apply to any athlete, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're underweight or not eating enough calories in a day. Um, You know, it has a whole lot of different systems that all need to be working correctly and, you know, under fueling a ride, even if you've eaten 5,000 calories that day, can still kind of mess you up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of tricky that way for sure Um, and who it affects and how it affects our body. And it's also long-term in a lot of cases, right? Yeah, so I think everyone should listen to that because I, I think it impacts a lot more people than you know you might realize. So I think it's it's worth listening for that alone. But then also, if you're not super into you know hearing more about that stuff, we talk about cross country skiing because she's actually also a cross country ski coach. It's sort of how she got into sport and sport science. And yeah, she has a lot of really good tips on how to get better at cross country skiing. Yeah. And I think even if you're not into cross country skiing, I think I always think of cross country skiing as sort of a good sport just to use as an example and as inspiration for training because the athletes are so fit. Um, They usually have to deal with a lot of different cross training, different sports to prepare for their sport because of, you know, you can't get snow in a lot of places and increasingly so that's true. Um, And then they, they're very big on like double days and strength training and they've been doing this. There's a huge history of sports science and training behind it. Um, so it's just, to me, it's just one of the greatest sports because it's so interesting in how they prepare and the different aspects in the sport. Yes. And bonus, I now know how to glide a little better because anyone that's ever skied with me or heard me talk about it knows that my typical strategy is to just try to run on my skis. Right. It's not pretty, but well, you got better last year. We got you better skis, which is a big part of the gliding. But uh, Peter, you got you better skis. I'm still on the same skis I've been on for like six years. Oh, well, <laughs> there you go. All right, everybody. Uh, 300 reviews and we get a dachshund and Molly gets a new set of skis. So head over stakes, to iTunes. Stakes have increased. Stakes are going to get raised every week here. So anyway, enjoy this conversation with Annika Weingarten. Annika, let's let's talk. Um, the first thing is, honestly, it seems like you do so many different things when someone at like a family Christmas party, for example, is like, so what do you do these days? How do you how do you describe it? Um, yeah, that's always a funny one. Sorry, I, I feel like I wear so many hats, but mm-hmm. I, I usually start off with my priorities at that time. So like right now, I usually lead off with I'm a grad student because um, that's what takes up most of my time these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I usually second that with I'm still a cross-country ski coach because I still spend a lot of time uh, working with athletes. Um, that's more of my secondary title these days. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, okay, talk me through where you are with school. What, what, did, what did you study? What are you studying now? What's super exciting? Well, so I, I came up with a background in human kinetics. And I jumped into a master's degree in exercise physiology, so it's an MSc in exercise physiology, at the University of Calgary. And so it's a thesis-based program, which means that I basically like pick an area that I'm really interested in, I learn a bunch about that, do a project, analyze all my data, and then write up a, like a thesis at the end of it. So I'm kind of at the point where I've like done my most of my project, I've analyzed my data, and I'm in kind of like the writing phase now. Um, But I've just spent the past like six months or so um, pretty much on the road doing my data collection because my project, uh, one of the big things I really wanted to emphasize with my project is actually making my research transferable to the people that I, you know, care about making a difference with. So I wanted to research all of the cross-country skiers across Canada, which is really ambitious. Of course, I didn't actually, you know, get to uh, test 
all of the skiers across Canada, but I did spend a, quite a bit of time kind of like driving to Toronto or like Barrie area or mm-hmm. you know, taking my research to Calgary, Canmore, Revelstoke, um, and running skiers through my like fatiguing protocol where I basically was trying to test if there was a sex difference or a difference in menstrual cycle phase on an athlete's response to high-intensity interval training. So if, if an athlete was more fatigued or less fatigued based on performance metrics, um, kind of analyzed based on sex and menstrual cycle. So I'm kind of just in the process of wrapping up that project, um, and hopefully I'll have results to kind of share shortly, which will be really exciting to actually get back to the community because the community definitely invested a lot of time in, like, you know, making their athletes available and working with me to kind of get everyone on board with this. So, yeah, we're kind of mm-hmm. in that exciting phase. I'm about to be able to get that out to everyone. Oh, that's so cool. Um, so what made you choose to do this for a research project? Because, I mean, I, I know most most people tend to avoid doing anything around menstrual cycle and women's sports stuff because it's it's harder to do than just like eight men in a lab yeah totally um and like eight men in a lab would be the way that most exercise physiologists would still go about trying to answer a lot of our like more basic questions about fatigue or exercise prescription um but when you're actually working with athletes and you kind of like see the variation between athletes you just start asking questions and i i think it's like the coaching rabbit hole where you're like the more that you learn about coaching the more you realize you don't know anything about coaching um mm-hmm. so as i when i was coaching i was realizing that i was having a lot of questions about exercise prescription athletes were responding differently than I would expect them to when I would give them kind of like a certain exercise prescription or certain like intensity workout. And, you know, sometimes the men would respond differently than the women. Sometimes the women were really, um, their response to an exercise prescription would change from, you know, one day to another. And it Mm -hmm. just led me down this rabbit hole of questions of what, what is going on? Like, can we understand or can we can we better understand or can we find a way to better predict how an athlete might actually respond to a high intensity session like an interval session mm-hmm. um, so that's what kind of got me started down this uh, path of working with men and women trying to understand sex differences because when you start reading to try and understand you realize that there isn't actually much that will explain why we prescribe intensity different for men or women, or should we prescribe intensity different for men and women? Um, so it's still a very developing area, and yeah, so it, it's I you know it's one of those things where there isn't much fundamental research on how women might respond differently from men, but we could we could make some assumptions based on what we know about differences in men and women that there could potentially be a difference. Mm-hmm. So as you're as you're writing it up, and I know you're probably a bit far out from being able to say, here's the conclusion. Are there are there any things that you can share about what the results have shown, or is it still in the um, tra- translate it, translating translation phase? <laughs> well, I'm still in the analyzing phase, so okay. there isn't there isn't much that I can share that's conclusive at the moment. Um, I did see some really interesting trends within my research. Um, but yeah, I'm still at the point where I can't quite share, uh, the specifics, but mm-hmm. hopefully even in like two weeks time, I'll be able to, to share how that looks. Oh, awesome. So I'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, yeah. it's, it's one of those things I had never really thought too much about how your period or your cycle could affect your training other than just like oh great i have my period and i have a race or like oh great i have my period and i have to train um and that was like when i was writing the saddle sore book for you know female cyclists the only question i really like came up around your period was like tampon versus pad on the bike and that was just like it uh, so it's really cool kind of seeing all of these questions coming up around it because um, I never thought of menstrual cycle as anything other than just like this annoying hassle that would throw off my training versus something that could actually affect my training. Yeah, and there's so much um, like kind of stigma around actually like talking about it from yeah. I, like I'm actually going to talk about my period or I'm going to tell my coach when I have my period. Exactly. Um, so, you know, in my opinion, it even starts with, like, having that conversation. But from mm-hmm. there, 
it can actually like there is a growing body of research that will describe some of the ways that you can actually if you if you shake off that stigma and actually like you know work with your period and know that you know you might actually have a higher performance level when you have your period instead of not training when you have your period it could actually make a difference in how you are able to better develop as a as an athlete so mm-hmm. yeah for sure there's some things that need to be talked about or thought about that currently are not super popular to talk about yeah well i was laughing i was stalking your instagram i went back and you had one post um where you actually had i think it was like a picture of an ovulation kit and yeah. it, was, it was like the less glorious part of studying female specific physiology and someone of course was like oh i thought you were announcing something uh and your response was yes that i'm a badass researcher studying awesome female athletes which i loved <laughs> I was just like, oh my gosh, it's one of those things like everyone always thinks about ovulation kit as like this is only something that you could possibly use when you're thinking about getting pregnant, not we could actually use this as information if like if we if we needed to or wanted to. Yeah, and so I used what I used the ovulation testing kits for was to determine two things. One, whether or not a woman was ovulating because even though um even though one of our participants might have been having a visible period, that still might not be like a regular menstrual cycle if they're not Mm -hmm. actually ovulating. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also use it so you can actually like know which cycle you're in because if you can, you know, if you see when your period is like when it starts and then when you're ovulating, you can know like exactly what your phases are. And a lot of the research that's developing around, you know, how hormones affect your training depend on knowing what phase you're in. Mm -hmm. Um, So, it, hopefully it'll become more popular to use as a tool to kind of inform athletes a little bit more about how to use um, how to use their cycle to understand their training. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say for the record, I will not be bringing one of those into my parents' house when I'm home for the holidays <laughs> because that will just get everyone entirely too excited. <laughs> there are a couple really funny stories about teenage girls. Uh, talking oh, to their dads, having awkward <laughs> conversations when they find the ovulation testing kit. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. It's so funny, though, right, that we have, like, these stigmas around using tools like that that's just like, oh, gosh, you couldn't possibly have any other use for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so this is, like, a highly specific question. Um, as far as, like, all of this research goes, how do you handle the fact that there are a fair number of women who would be on either hormonal birth control who are, like, actually taking, like, oral contraceptives or the ones that have an IUD? Because that kind of throws things off, right? Yeah, and it it does change the way that we conduct research a little bit. So when I... There's kind of two ways that I'm going to answer this question is, like, from a research perspective... Um, I basically have to analyze my results differently for women on oral contraceptives um, compared to, you know, women who might be in their luteal phase or follicular phase. It's kind of like a whole other subcategory because Mm -hmm. the synthetic hormones that come from the pill are so much greater than what is typically present in a woman's body um, that whenever we're looking at the influence of hormones on something, you have to basically just say they have extremely high hormones and we have to put them in a separate category. Mm-hmm. But the other interesting thing was I came into this study under the assumption that a lot of these girls were going to be on the pill or have oral contraceptive, uh, some kind of use of oral contraceptive, IUD, whatever. But it turned out that a lot of the girls actually didn't, um, which hmm. was surprising to me. I thought the prevalence would be a lot higher. Um, but I think I, I had uh, 30 female participants in my study and only five were on the pill. So that was actually a pretty small amount, um, considering what I was expecting. Yeah, that is that is actually really surprising. Although I will say I just read an article that says that was talking about how a lot of people have actually gone away from hormonal contraceptives for better or worse. um, Because there were so many kind of like, the wellness world was very panicked about birth control for the last few years, we'll say. Um, Yeah. And it's it's kind of scared a lot of people off of using it. Um, and especially, I'd say, athletes in particular, like, it's definitely scary, the idea of, like, messing with your hormones more than you're kind of already messing with them with endurance sport. Yeah, exactly. And my, my, my population that I was looking at, there were 
like I would say that there are probably more younger, like younger than 18 okay. um, competitive skiers than there are older competitive skiers, right? Because sure, you know, the yeah. older you get, the more elite you have to be um, to still be in, in that level of sport. But um, yeah, I think that I think that it's a trend in the right direction to mm-hmm. um, not take birth control if you don't have to, right? So it's, yes, it's, for sure. It's definitely a trend we're seeing. Yeah, because I remember when I was 14, getting prescribed birth control for acne was like one of the most common things. Like I would say probably half of my grade would have been on hormonal birth control from that age, which is just bananas to me. Yeah, and that's why I was expecting different like different numbers than what I got. But Mm -hmm. I'm glad to see that the trends are changing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, and okay, obviously, you know, you're studying women in sport, you, you've, you must be paying attention to the whole red S, you know, prevalence stuff. So I I realize this is not exactly your focus, but as a sports scientist and as a coach and as someone who's in the sporting world, I feel like you're, you're a great person to kind of talk to about what exactly is red S because I think a lot of people are hearing it now that the Mary Kane story broke and all that, but have no idea exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely have had a lot of conversations in the past couple of weeks kind of on the topic of Mary Kane and all the other athletes that have come out to talk about this, but the basics behind uh, reds or red S is that we'll start it's relative energy deficit in sport. And that is basically uh a whole thing around the concept of low energy availability or just energy balance and energy balance is just making sure that you you balance the energy that you consume so like food um nutrition and understanding that the energy that you consume has to meet the energy needs that your or the energy needs of your body which is like your resting metabolism you know activities of daily living like walking around sitting and Mm -hmm. your training needs so when your body's energy needs aren't met, the body can go into this like panic or self-preservation mode. And uh, there are a couple of conversations that I've had is that, you know, how can we identify this in athletes? And it can be really challenging to identify because some athletes, um, especially if they're being weighed by their coaches, which is kind of one of the things that Mary Kane was talking about, is that you can actually like put on weight or retain weight um, and not just like lose weight when you start to enter this state of relative energy deficit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just kind of the body going into this self-preservation mode. Despite being underfueled, they're not actually losing weight. They might be you know, retaining or gaining weight. Yeah. Um, and so red S is kind of used instead of the old like female athlete triad. So there's a lot of like negative health outcomes that are associated with it. So the typical ones from the female athlete triad are, you know, menstrual dysfunction and decreased bone density or, you know, issues with bone health, like stress fractures and things like that. But red S tries to encompass all, like all the body systems so that you can have cardiovascular symptoms, psychological symptoms, you know, GI, immunological, and, you know, all kinds of different things that affect the body. But when you're an athlete, um, it's really hard to kind of say, oh, you know, this one thing is, is not normal. I'm going to immediately attribute it to my nutrition. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like the link is a little bit hard to make sometimes. But Mm -hmm. from an athletic perspective, I like to kind of think of it as like four different themes. And if you if you notice kind of uh, any any one of those things kind of changing, it's like a red flag. So like if you're if you're noticing a change in mental health, or you're noticing a change like a decrease in performance, or an increase in injury or illness, or like persistent poor training quality, then it's just like red flag. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, I think, one of the big things with with the Mary Kane story is that there were red flags from yeah. everything that I've read is that there were red flags and they were basically like ignored from what she's uh, talking about in, in her and in what I've read about her. Mm-hmm. And I think that the important thing is that like if you notice a red flag, you have to start looking for the why, like why is this happening to you? And, you know, it can be sleep or it can be overtraining, or it can be, like, stress from something else, but it also can be that you're underfueling um, and that your body is going into a state of stress. Yeah, and I like that you said it doesn't necessarily have to go with you losing weight. It can actually have almost the opposite effect where you're hanging on to weight, and I think that's where I'd say a lot of the more... Um, 
I hesitate to say average, but like the more like normal athlete types fall as well, right? Like you you go on this crazy diet where you're like, okay, not not going to eat or like going to eat like the thing out of, you know, Hell, Shape magazine from 1995 that says 1,200 calories a day and I'm going to do that and do all my training and I'm going to lose five pounds this week and you end up like puffier than ever by the end of the week and feeling terrible. Um, yeah. That's, that's where a lot of people end up in, in trouble. Yeah, and I think what's so important to understand with like red reds or low energy availability is that it's not always intentional, right? Like you, even what you're talking about with like an average athlete is that you know, they're intentionally modifying their diet and, you know, they have this negative outcome. But I think that especially with the average athlete, um, you can have like accidentally have low energy availability or accidentally have a negative energy balance. And it comes down to like a lot of average athletes may not always have the time to have a really good recovery meal or they might be super busy at work and skip a meal, which leads to this like accidental under fueling and with endurance athletes it, i mean it depends on how you build your training weeks but a lot of endurance athletes will like you know have one week that's a lot harder than the other and then a rest week and then a median week and you know like it kind of fluctuates or varies throughout you know a month or a year and mm-hmm. with energy availability or energy balance you have to like change your energy in based on the energy that goes out so being able to actually notice that you need to eat more when you're training harder is not always like it seems intuitive but it's not always easy to know like how much more you actually need um, on those big uh, big training blocks yeah it's actually funny I was saying the other day I end up almost eating more on my rest days because I suddenly have more time Um, and I'm like oh right this is how much I should be eating during a training block not not necessarily on a rest day. So I think a lot of people end up flipping them um, just kind of time-based almost. Like you said, like just don't have time for that recovery meal or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think that like, it doesn't matter how competitive you are um, or how much you train, like reds isn't always based on an intentional change in your diet. It can be accidental. So, you know, just keeping an eye on that and keeping yourself honest with like, you know, you notice one of these red flags, maybe it's, maybe it's nutrition, Mm -hmm. um, keeping that in mind. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to, I want to shift gears to your athletic background because obviously I I'm guessing anyway, your background as an athlete and you know, your work as a cross country ski coach kind of informed where you are in the science world now, right? Yeah. And I think that like, there's no like, my trajectory to where I am now definitely isn't a straight line. I mean, I was athletic as a kid, I did a lot of school sports. um, But I never really did anything uh, very competitively. In high school, I got into endurance sport because we had this kind of system where we went from track to cross country running to cross country skiing repeat for four years. Um, And so that kind of informed kind of or like kind of directed me to be more in endurance sport. Um, but I was never super competitive. But I definitely, um, as I was kind of in university, I was definitely like being active. But it was actually when I got offered a job working full time as a cross country ski coach, that I really kind of jumped back into being active myself because I have to keep up with my athletes. So how did um, that happen? How did you go from being not super into it to being a coach? Yeah, so I mean, I, I, it's honestly, it's hard to explain because I really don't believe how it happened myself sometimes. I mean, I was um, at the University of Ottawa. I was studying human kinetics and I was working or volunteering in a like neurotrauma biomechanics lab. And I was trying to understand more about like head injury, concussion. And I was thinking that I was going to become a physiotherapist. So I was kind of on that track. And at some point, I guess I decided that I was going to try and start volunteer ski coaching um because that was kind of my my sport that I was the best at when I was a kid um and then I I don't know how this job fell into my lap but it did and uh (laughs) (laughs) right place right time right sport exactly exactly and and then I I I always of course have really loved cross-country skiing I really enjoyed competing when I was younger um 
but when I started coaching with Nacrotalk, it really kind of brought me the community. It brought me kind of the right space to really dive into it. Um, and so I would say that from that sense, I was kind of like a late developer getting into getting into the competitive sport and the competitive side of coaching. I had like a huge learning curve um, when I started working at that job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so that's that's kind of like a, my weird, not straight line trajectory to how I got here. Because basically, once I started coaching, I was really loving it. But then I was having all these questions about, you know, intensity of prescription and how, like, how much is enough or how much is too much. Mm-hmm. And when you're working full time as a coach, you don't really have the time to go out and find the answers to your questions. So yeah. I had to kind of like take a step back and be like, okay, I'm going to take a pause on coaching and, you know, focus on trying to answer these questions and Mm -hmm. then you know I'm going to graduate and come back to coaching which is a really exciting kind of next step for me oh that's awesome no it's it's really funny the the coaching continuing ed or really any ed because I a few I mean god 10 years ago now I got my like USA cycling like lowest level coaching certification and in order to keep it every two years you need to show like 20 continuing ed credits and you know, you could take like the webinars or whatever that are on USA Cycling, but usually I would just send them a list of like, here's, you know, a hundred articles that I've written on training and nutrition and like thousands of hours of interviews with all of these top experts. And it's like, if I was actually a full-time coach, there's no way I would have had time to do those. But because I was a journalist who also did some coaching, it got to be part of my work to do the research on it. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, yeah, I don't know how most coaches are, are able to kind of keep up and, yeah, dig in and answer those questions. Yeah, and that's why, like, it's so important for me to take my project and what I learned from my project and get it that information back to the community because, mm-hmm. you know, as a coach, it's really hard to stay informed with the latest research trends because yeah. you're you're immersed in the daily lives of your athletes and it's so hard to kind of come out of that bubble, like you say, and and see what else is going on. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to, like, inject a little of that back into the community while I have the time to do that, and I have yeah. that as my focus, because I know yeah. that, that won't, it won't stay like that for very long. Yep. And then, I mean, flip side, like, so much so much of the research done, like we kind of said earlier, is that, like, five guys in a lab type stuff, and, you know, how is that relevant to young women skiing? Like, not necessarily. So it, it's really cool to have more research being done on you know, women in sport. Yeah. And I, I hope that, I hope that the style of research that I'm doing will also be applicable to like young women in other endurance sports. Yeah. You know, if I, if I had more time, I'd love to repeat the same thing with, you know, a different population, so like young cyclists in sport or young run- runners or things mm-hmm. like that. But um, I hope that there will be some applicability of, you know, the, the research done on skiers to other populations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, on that note, as far as your your study goes, um, how can how can the normal person or normal woman track their period? Like, what is what is the way to do this? Because I think yeah. after listening to this, I'm like, oh, I should this this makes sense. I should probably start doing that. <laughs> That's, no, that's a really that's a good place to start. Um, I've like gone around and given a couple of talks to um, different levels of sport and. I uh, kind of tried to explain how the menstrual cycle influences performance, but I, I basically have to finish saying that if you don't track your period, this information is irrelevant because mm-hmm. if you don't know where you are, it's hard to change your training to optimize it based on your period. So mm-hmm. track, like tracking your period, tracking your menstrual cycle is super important. And if, if there are women out there who are trying to uh, optimize their training, whether they're training five hours a week or 15 hours a week, and you're not tracking your period, like now's the time to start. Um, in, in my study, there was kind of, there was three things we did to, to track periods. And I think at a very basic level, like the first thing that we would do with every single person was just have them start like calendar counting. So, Mm -hmm. you know, mark on your calendar, when you get your period, wait, whatever, how many days, 24, 35 days, mark it again, when you get your period again. And at a very basic level, you can understand how many days you typically have in your cycle. So, you know, if it's 24 days or if it's 35 days. And if that's all you're going to do, then you can know two things. You can know, one, when you skip your cycle. So, like, let's say you go 60 days without a period. Mm-hmm. You know that you've skipped your period. And, and that can give you information 
Um, maybe you're not fueling enough. Maybe you've overtrained a little bit. Um, it's like a good little red flag from your body saying like, hey, something's up. Yeah. But um, with your when you have your cycle length, if that's all you're going to do, you can kind of like split it in half, call the first half the follicular phase, call the second half the luteal phase. And if anything, it's a best guess at where you are, like what phase you are, what your hormone levels might be um, in your menstrual cycle. And so like that would be like the super basic. There's no excuses for not doing that. It's literally putting one little note in your calendar and keeping a track. And, and there's even if you use like training peaks, or any other apps like that. Training Peaks has like a, you know, little area to yeah. mark about your menstrual cycle. Um, I'm not sure about other apps, but like there's easy ways to, to track that. Mm-hmm. And you can make your life, you can make it more complicated. Like you can try the ovulation testing, you know, buy an ovulation testing kit. You know, the instructions that come with it will explain how to use it. And then you can see whether or not you're ovulating, um, which will give you more information. Because if you're not ovulating, the likelihood of you skipping your next period will could potentially be higher um and then you can also have a more definitive like this is my luteal phase this is my follicular phase just gives you a little bit more information mm-hmm. um and then and now, there's also like so go would ahead. would that be the way to do it if you were on like if you, so for example with a lot of the hormonal iud's you don't actually really get a period period so it's very hard to say like this is my period like you just don't really have that obvious thing mm-hmm. so with mm-hmm. that would an ovulation kit be the best predict like way to predict it or how do, how do you do that <laughs> i'm asking a very specific question yeah here. sorry <laughs> that's okay um so if you're not ovulating you likely aren't getting a period so if you're not getting a period you likely aren't ovulating mm-hmm. so if you're if you don't have a period using an ovulation testing kit probably won't do much for you. Um, you know, there might be some instances where I'm wrong on that, um, but that wouldn't be my first go-to if someone didn't have a period. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you, someone is using an IUD or is on birth, birth control or doesn't have, like, a physical period, it's much harder to know what in your cycle is because you basically have this irregular menstrual cycle or some kind of menstrual dysfunction where you've lost your period. Mm-hmm. And... From a lot of the women that I've had in my study, like that's very prevalent in young women. Um, it's very prevalent in uh, like competitive or elite athletes. But basically, you can't really say I've got this, you know, 35-day cycle if you don't have a period. You basically are are below the hormonal threshold to trigger ovulation or to trigger mm-hmm. having a period. So. In my, in my study, I've basically been labeling that as just low hormone. Like these women have low hormone and their hormones are suppressed from one thing or another, whether it's, you know, low energy availability or just high training load or whatever it is that's causing the stress on the body. But the body is starting to shut down that reproductive system and just maintaining a lower level of hormone in the body. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's hard to track. That's, that's definitely... Uh, uh, it's challenging kind of, yeah yeah because on one hand yeah it's it's yeah great to track and do all of that stuff but I mean a lot of women don't necessarily have that normal thing for one reason or another like let's say well and I think that even just tracking to understand that it's not normal it gives you information True, so yeah you know if you if you didn't really understand how often you skipped your period. If you start tracking when you get your period, you can go, okay, maybe I get it four times a year, which means I'm skipping, you know, this many months a year. And that can even in itself give you information about, you know, how, what is the severity of this energy imbalance or this stress on my body or the overtraining load that I might be kind of chronically carrying with me? Because um, physiologically, your body should be having a period. If, mm-hmm. you're, if your body is functioning optimally, you will have a regular menstrual cycle. So there's some kind of stimulus on the body that is causing it too much stress. And that stress is just starting to shut down the reproductive system because that's one of the first systems that will kind of get shut down if the body doesn't have enough energy to be kind of normal. So even if you're, if you're tracking and you can only see that you have a couple periods a year, that's information that says that you know, I should, I should really look into why this is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Coming back to cross country skiing. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
because this is obviously the second big thing that I wanted to talk to you about um, since we are in the season and a lot of people kind of shift from cycling or running to cross-country skiing when you live in one of these snowy areas like we do. It's not yep. necessarily that we're good at it. It's just that it's it's there and it's an easy way to do an endurance sport. Um, so any, any tips for beginners uh, just getting started? <laughs> yeah, I mean... Like as you say, you, it's there. You, it's a really awesome training tool. Even if you're a ski, like um, if you're not a skier and you're just using it as a training tool, like go out, ski. Don't set too many expectations on yourself. And um, I think the biggest tip that I can probably give is that you don't always have to keep up. Um, yes. Skiing can be a lot of work and pretty miserable if you're just like super sweaty all the time and really trying to just like always keep up with someone that's ahead of you and like part of the fun of skiing is the trails that you're on and like being outside and you know the same concept of like you know being in zone one and training in your endurance zone not always you know working really hard to keep up so that's my first tip for beginners is you don't always have to keep up it's okay to go for a ski on your own um and my second tip is work on your balance because uh like in competitive skiing we have our athletes do legs only drills like all the time like at least once a week these athletes are skiing around with no poles just to practice their balance because balance plays such a big role in efficiency so if Mm -hmm. you can balance and like be efficient then you're gonna have a lot easier time keeping up in the end Mm -hmm. um for for really new people too can you just talk about what one should wear cross-country skiing because the first couple times i went out i'm gonna say i was a little on the overdressed side no one yeah. told me. I was like ready to go out for like sledding or something. It was not good. Yeah. Um, so basically, you want to dress in layers, and usually, if it's like minus ten, you want two layers. So a base layer, some kind of like long sleeve polypropylene wool long sleeve shirt, and then you want your like sport jacket so you know probably the same thing you'd have as like your cycling jacket or your maybe a little bit heavier than your running jacket um and that's usually it for the upper body and the lower body you kind of want the same you want you know a pair like a base layer against your skin something that's nice that'll kind of pull sweat off of your body and then cover it up with a shell or an overpant mm-hmm. not no pants that's definitely a no-go <laughs> yep that's what i did um, and then usually a big thing is that you just want to have a buff or two buffs because your face will get cold and like a headband or a light hat. Mm-hmm. Then the biggest thing in skiing is if you, if you get sweaty and then you stop for even two seconds to chat with your friend or fix your ski or something, you're going to freeze. And that's yep. not as much fun. <laughs> yeah, for so you sure. Wanna try, you want to try to like, you know, wear fewer clothes. Definitely start a little bit cold. You'll warm up. Don't worry. Um, situation, not the, I'm toasty standing in the parking lot. Let's go from here. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you said the buff though. I, I feel like I'm like evangelical about buffs at this point. I'm like, they're the greatest (laughs) invention ever, whether it's boiling hot or freezing cold out. A buff is just so good. You're not a skier if you don't have at least a dozen buffs. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Arguably the same could be said about cyclists or like gravel cyclists (laughs) at least. Um, okay. Gliding in cross country skiing. So I can, Mm. I can get down like a trail that's been walked on and like the skiing is basically like running with like some minor sliding happening. Uh, but put me on the groomed cross country trails and I am somehow completely off the trail in the trees ski, like one skis like 10 feet away. I'm upside down. Um, I can't glide help <laughs> how'd you get in the trees because you can't glide Molly, I, is... <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> <laughs> well as like i like i said just a moment ago like gliding is one of the most essential things coming back to, to yeah. efficiency in skiing right so if you can't glide or you're having a, tr- a hard time gliding it's probably because your balance is a little bit off so in skiing we have this like kind of like keyword that we use all the time and it's called weight transfer and so the concept is is that you want your center of mass over top of your ski when you're on one ski so when you're gliding you kind of have one foot 
kind of finishing your kick, which is basically off the ground, and one foot that you have all your weight on. So mm-hmm. if you're weight transferred, you have like your belly button and the center of your chest balanced over that ski. And that is what's going to kind of help you get that flat ski and be able to just ride the ski and feel balanced. But if you're kind of like wobbling and your hips are kind of, you know, over to the side and you're trying to compensate by getting your shoulders over and you're kind of like, you know, in this funny body position and feeling all unstable, then you're definitely not going to have a flat ski. You're definitely going to feel really wobbly and that glide is going to be cut short, which means that you have to kick twice as much to mm-hmm. in the same amount of time, right? So gliding will come back to your balance and this idea of like getting your hips and the center of your chest over top of your skis. And if you've never done this before, I highly recommend just like trying it at home, like no skis on your feet, because if you can't do this standing on like regular ground, you won't be able to do it standing on a ski. So uh, a lot yes. of skiers will practice balance like as a part of the warm up for any gym sessions, or they'll do a lot of single leg exercises in the gym that'll really emphasize this like weight transfer, getting your hips over. Um, yeah, because if you can't do it in the gym, you won't be able to do it on skis. So just yeah, coming back to that idea. Yeah, I love anything I can practice off of skis before I get onto the skis. Um, just if you haven't grown up doing any kind of skiing or anything like that, it's very intimidating having this like five foot long thing stuck to your foot. <laughs> I mean, they do help you go faster eventually, but when eventually. you're a beginner, it definitely can be a bit of a daunting challenge to balance on this thing. Yeah. yeah. I keep just trying to tell myself with skiing, I'm like, you're not really in it to go fast. You're just in it to do some endurance training. So really the slower I go, the the better off I am. I have to go less far. It's great. <laughs> well, that's, that's the reality too, right? And that, that comes back to my first comment, like you don't have to keep up. If you're, exactly. if you're like a cyclist who doesn't really know how to ski and you go out for, you're there for like four hours because you're like, this is my endurance exercise for today. But you go out way too hard because your efficiency is really low that you're not actually accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish. But if you just like, your heart rate is up and you're enjoying being outside then then you're you know, doing you're, it right it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly um okay you currently have a pretty bananas schedule as far as research and just kind of running around between the different things goes and i imagine cross-country skiing for you is probably starting up pretty soon um, oh yeah it's in full swing and we got like i have my uh, class is canceled today because it's a snow day. There's snow outside. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, how are you balancing all of the things? Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't think that I, I wouldn't say I'm balancing them <laughs> in a super healthy way at the moment, but they're happening. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I, I have a lot going on for sure, but I just, um, for me, coaching is what I do for fun. Like, it's what brings me a lot of, of the joy in my day-to-day mm-hmm. life. So it kind of balances one of these, like, uh, fairy tale concepts in my life right now where I find, you know, the grind, the work is my school and the fun is my coaching. And that's kind of how things get balanced out these days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, And on that note, I saw on Instagram that you were talking about doing meal prepping recently. Uh I feel like this is one of those pieces of advice that we often give to people, give to our athletes, give to people on the podcast, and then don't really go into any kind of like, here's a tip for how to do it. Uh, So everyone knows they should meal prep, but no one actually does it. And so, of course, when I saw that you had like a meal prep thing that you did on Instagram, I was like, oh, okay, good. I can ask her about this. So when you are doing good on the meal prepping, any tips for, for people that know it's a good idea, but don't do it? Yeah, actually, meal prepping is one of those things that it, it, it I don't always have a lot of time for it, but it, it almost always happens. Um, so the way that I meal prep is it's super basic. I have like rice cooked up. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I have a rice cooker, I'll put the rice cooker on and then, you know, you can just walk away or just put it on the stove and come back in 20 minutes. Hope it's not burnt. Um, and then I have a bunch of vegetables that I chop up and sometimes I am good and I like chop them up on Sunday. Sometimes it's like a chop them up while my oats are cooking in the microwave in the morning. And sometimes I bring the raw vegetables with me to work and I have a knife at my desk and I chop them up at lunchtime. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I like pre-cook my protein source. So whatever I've decided to, 
to have usually like like the night before while I'm you know making dinner or mm-hmm. on Sunday or something like that. So my 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 meal prep is basically like rice, some kind of protein. I'm on like a sausage kick right now, so I have like my sausage, oh, and then I just so have good. a whole bunch of vegetables. And I have like I you know when I've got a lot of time, I make my own sauce, but I'm not in that point in my life right now, so I buy a sauce. Yep. And that's what it looks like. And it's not a lot of, uh, there's no glamour. Yep. <laughs> it's not always Instagram worthy. Um, but because I just buy different vegetables every week, if you buy fresh vegetables and like good organic, whatever, vegetables, local, whatever, then they taste good. And you don't mm-hmm. really need this like fancy preparation. It's just like rice, vegetables, protein, sauce. And that's what I have for lunch and dinner most days. <laughs> yes. I think people get way too... Uh, precious about it we'll say and like think that they need to have yeah like a fancy sauce that they've made or you know cook 18 different things and all of that and it's really super super basic we always say like most of our like we probably use the same 10 ingredients like vegetables interchangeable but like other than different vegetables we don't really change the basic like five things that we make all week for like every meal <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I don't even like plan out what vegetables I'm gonna buy. I well, I actually, I'm pretty lucky. I get like a, a vegetable delivery box, so I just they show oh, up at nice. my door and I chop them up. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, there, there's no pre-planning. There's not much advanced work. It's just kind of make it happen. Mm-hmm. I love that. Awesome. Okay. Let everyone know where they can find you, follow your research, follow your coaching, et cetera. Um, I'm on Instagram at Winegarden A. I'm starting to post more frequently there. Um, I also have a Facebook page for my uh, new coaching endeavor, um, which is two by four, so two x four coaching. Okay, I'm what is Facebook the what is the that. name? What is, what is two by four coaching? Uh, it's a good question. Um, there's a couple of different things that we have. It's either two coaches and or yeah, two coaches and four values. So we have four values that we've picked that we want to like base our our coaching around, or two sports, four seasons. So it depends on on how you oh, want to think about it. it. But yeah, <laughs> there's some kind of like metaphor about building in there too, which we like. Yeah, I was I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. And wait, what's that website again? Uh, the website is 2 by 4 so 2x4coaching.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, Uh, Do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. Takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.